Minds, a wine-centric podcast for two wine-loving friends. Take a look beyond what's in the glass. We look behind it, too, discovering the stories, the culture, the history, and the people that make it all happen. I'm Julie Glenn. And don't forget, we taste a little bit along the way. I'm Gina Birch, and we travel through the wine that is in our glass. That is uh, most of the traveling, all that most of us have done over the last year and have due to the little thing called the global pandemic. But throughout the summer, Great Minds has been doing some wine travel, sans the plane ticket. And we're traveling right through that glass. We've been to Australia, New Zealand. We did a complete tour of Italy from Sicily to Alto Adige. And today we're leaving the country yet again, but we're staying on the continent, visiting what would be called North America's most overlooked wine region, the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia. You know, when I think of uh, BC, British Columbia, I think of cold weather, I think of skiing, maybe ice wine. Uh, but I think our guest today, Shane Munn, is going to change our perception. Uh, he is the winemaker and general manager of Martin's Lane Winery in British Columbia. Hi, Shane. Thanks so much for being with us. Lovely to be here. Thank you. So before we get going, can you give us all a little, a bit of a geography lesson when it comes to the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia? Absolutely. Um, so the Okanagan Valley, just I guess ge- geographically, is around about uh, um, it's about ninety miles east of uh, uh, Vancouver and sort of southern British Columbia. Um, it's uh, it's uh, it's a pretty warm, but also a, a, a cool region. Um, one of the defining things of the Okanagan Valley is is uh, I guess um, is our altitude. We're uh, generally at around about a, the Lake Okanagan, which is where all our vineyards are surrounding. Um, it sits at around about 1,100 feet above sea level. So it's a, it's a pretty rugged area. Um, it's a valley that's surrounded to, by either side by mountains that rise up to between four and 5,000 feet. So yeah, it's a pretty challenging dynamic region. Is there a long uh, winemaking history in that region or is it a fairly new in the scheme of things? Um, I guess it sort of mirrors a lot of new world wine regions in that I think, uh, you know, the first vineyards were planted in the valley here at around 1930. But like most new world regions, you know, you've seen a heck of a lot of change in, you know, since the 1960s and 70s and 80s. And um, I'd say even in the last uh, 15 years, the number of wineries here has doubled. So it's currently we have about 370 uh, registered wineries in the valley, but most of them are very small. And I don't mean to be geographically idiotic here, but I'm thinking when I think Canada and the U.S. border, things like that, I'm thinking International Falls, where it's so cold, like barely anything can survive. How cold does it get where you are? Um, typically, the winters here, um, compared to other provinces in Canada, winters here are generally quite mild. So I would say in the middle of winter, um, it, uh, winter typically sits at around minus 10 to um, Celsius. So, you know. 14 to sort of 20 degrees Fahrenheit but That's we cold. have <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cold but um occasionally like the not last winter but the win- the previous two winters it's plummeted usually in February when it's starting when it should be warming up to around minus 13 Fahrenheit so that's enough to kind of really um give the vine some stress and uh you know to counter that it can also be a, a very warm region you know typically the the 
the, um, the temperatures here would sit in the sort of high 70s to mid 80s. Um, but, you know, the season we're, we're in, the, in the middle of at the moment, um, you know, our average temperature is set well above 85 degrees Fahrenheit. So, you know, it's a, it's a very fluctuating dynamic region. Yeah, and that's always good. So um, I think a lot of people's perception of wine from Canada is limited to ice wine. That had a really big push um, back in the 80s and 90s and through the early 2000s. And it seems like people may just associate things with ice wine. But please enlighten us as to what else grows, particularly in your region. Yeah, I guess the Okanagan Valley is a very, very diverse region. Um, you know, probably, probably one of those things. We're one of those uh, regions that is a, a bit of a jack of all trades and that, uh, you know, I think the highest planted variety by percentage is Merlot, and that's only at around 7 or 8%. Um, so we, we plant a lot of varieties from north to south. It's, it's probably the most diverse region I've ever worked in. From north to south, it's about... Uh, 90 miles, I would say. Um, so really, um, from my perspective, you know, we're based in the North Okanagan. It almost deserves to be like two separate regions, you know, the South and the North with the, the North Okanagan being um, based around a, a very, very long, deep lake, which makes it a lot cooler. So you're primarily working, it sounds like, with um, European noble grapes, the ones that we all kind of know the names of. Are there any native um, North American grapes being grown at all? Uh, there is a few here, but probably not as many as you would see in eastern Canada, particularly mm-hmm. in uh, Ontario and maybe Quebec, where they have more brutal winters and, you know, they're a little bit more cold hardy. So I think, you know, the, the dramatic change here, especially since the 1970s, has been more towards Vices uh, Vinifera um, varieties, which, you know, I think most people agree produce a higher class and quality wine that can, can age very, very well. And, uh, and that's certainly the focus of, uh, of our wine here. Ah, oh, come on. Some people like the foxy stuff. <laughs> I think foxy about our wines. <laughs> no, not at all. And in fact, Gina, has, we, she just poured uh, the first Riesling that we're going to try. The Naramata Ranch uh, Vineyard Riesling. It's a 2017. Um, so tell us about this one from Martin's Lane. Yeah, so um, this vineyard is a very unique vineyard. Um, it's been farmed as, as an agricultural piece of land since the 1940s and planted as a vineyard for the first time in the 1970s. And uh, our proprietor, Anthony von Mandel, purchased this vineyard in 1990 and set about replanting it with higher quality clones. Um, the only parcel of grapes that remains from this 110 acre site is this very small, um, three-acre plot of Riesling. So um, we don't know the exact age of it, but we have kind of had a rough guess that it was planted in around about the the mid-1970s. So it is the oldest parcel of fruit that we deal with. Um, Rather uniquely for for our sites, it's the only um, plot of land that is completely flat. The Okanagan Valley is defined by very heavily sloped sites. And so... um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool little parcel. So. It's interesting. There, on the nose on this Riesling, I'm not getting near the amount of petroleum that you tend to get on other Rieslings. I don't either. I'm getting a lot of tropical, like pineapple. And it's it's. I, I love that the nose is beautiful. It's, it's it really, really fascinating. The style, we aim, the style of Riesling we aim for is quite unique by, I'd, I'd say, you know, um, new world, let alone local standards, in that 
you know, I, I guess the inspiration for our style of Riesling is some of the greater, drier styles mm. of Riesling that you see coming out of Alsace or Austria or, um, or you know, Germany and some areas. So we give this wine um, approximately about 48 hours skin contact. Um, the stems are rather uniquely included in there. So you'll find, you know, I can see you licking your lips. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's very textural wine. So texture is kind of one of the main things we aim for. Um, being a, a cool and a hot climate, um, uh, acidity is one of the things we don't uh, ever have a lack of. So you mm -hmm. really have to build fruit and flesh around um, a, a backbone of acidity. So it's not a piercingly acidic wine, which uh, you know, would make it a little bit less uh, attractive to most, but we're aiming to make a wine that's a little bit more savory and complex rather than, you know, punchy, aromatic. It so, makes me salivate. I want another sip and that, me too. you know, or, or I want to get a bite of something. And that's exactly what you, I think you want a wine to do. You want us to enjoy more of it, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think the, you know, the skin contact gives the wine more structure, makes it very, very food friendly. Often Riesling is not the easiest wine to match with food because it can be, you know, super aromatic and sometimes quite sweet. and A little overwhelming uh, sometimes, yeah. This wine has three grams per liter residual sugar, so it's pretty dry. Um, but, you know, just enough to kind of balance the acidity and have a nice phenolic structure as well. And that's the Naramata Ranch uh, it's a 2017 Riesling. Are you, how much do you export? I mean, are you all over North America, Europe? How how are people listening going to be able to find the, these wines? They import very little of this. And uh, in fact, the only country you can buy this wine is uh, outside of Canada is the US. But, you know, I think that sums up Canadian wine in general is uh, like a, uh, like the United States, we have a large population, and so we tend to, uh, Canadians tend to buy up most of our wine, which is a, a plus. But, it's probably uh, a good source of national pride, too. Yeah. Yeah. So you can buy these wines basically through our website. Um, you know, we have a, a basically a warehouse in Cali California where, um, you know, if, uh, if you live in a state that um, you can ship wine from California to, then uh, you can buy any of these wines, which is nice. But uh, I think it's, it's one of the huge opportunities for especially for us and Canadian wine in general, it's, uh, it's moving across the border. Um, it's not easy, but... Uh, no, it's you not. Know, so, You're not but, kidding. Yeah. It's hard. Um, how are... I don't know. One of the things that I think is really cool about the flavor on this wine, or the taste, the, the mouthfeel on this, is the viscosity is high, but that acidity is also very much present. And that is the balance that I'm seeing in this one. Yeah, I think kind of... A balance, balance is crucial to any great wine, but possibly uh, no more so than any great Riesling. You know, you've got to balance the uh, residual sugar perfectly with the uh, acidity, but those skin con the skin contact brings in some really interesting kind of rich textural aromas that I think um, balance the fruit nicely. And we have very low yields of around about sort of two and a half tons per acre. That's basically one bunch per each shoot on the on the wine, so that helps us get a, a pretty a nice elevated level of ripeness compared to what you might typically find. That'd be a pretty concentrated flavor. What would be the difference then between the two different Rieslings? I mean, obviously two different vineyards. You mean the ones that we're that the we ones have that in we're our driving. glass? Yeah. So we are we're on the Fritzy's Vineyard Riesling now. Yes. Yeah, so it has a very different nose. Sorry. From the east side of the lake to the west side. Um, which is, you know, generally speaking, the west side of Lake Okanagan is a lot warmer. It captures a lot more sun. You know, most places in the world, the sun rises in the east. And uh, 
So first thing in the morning, um, this vineyard, Fritzi's vineyard is capturing um, a lot of light. Um, so it's warmer. Um, so this Riesling would be picked around about 10 days before the Naramata Riesling, which is on the east side of the lake. Um, so being picked earlier at uh, a higher level of ripeness, it actually kind of retains a lot more acidity. So this has about one and a half grams per liter more acidity. So to balance this, it has um, around about eight grams per liter residual sugar. Um, it's not as aromatic as, well, it's not as really as opulent as the Naramata Riesling, but, it, but I think the, you know, the, this, the feature in this wine is really kind of the power it has on the palate. It's wow. very, very mineral, very fresh. Um, you know, it's probably one of those things I think you could sneak it into a blind tasting with a wine from like the Rheingau or the Rheinhessen and it wouldn't look out of place. Very stony kind of aromas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a long, long finish too. I mean, it's just hanging out in my mouth, having a party in there. <laughs> it's like, hey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, we've really only just released this wine. We only make about 200 cases of each of our Rieslings. So really Pinot is the feature of what we do at the winery here. But um, Riesling kind of, I think it's a rather unique mix of a winery that just features Pinot Noir and Riesling, but it works well for our sites. And that I think Pinot and Riesling are sort of, you know, two of the varieties that I think express sight with the utmost clarity compared to maybe some other varieties. But uh yeah. And I don't want to speak out of turn here, but this is probably one of the better Rieslings I've had from North America. Good. Like the continent. The whole continent. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not just blowing smoke over here because I don't really do that and I don't do it regularly. But this is a great expression of two different I don't want to say kinds of Rieslings, but two expressions of Riesling in two different vineyards with the, you can just taste the sunshine in this one. But the nose has a little bit more petroleum on it than the first one. Definitely. This is definitely uh, uh, fruitier Mm. for somebody looking for like a more traditional and fruit forward Riesling. I think it'd be perfect. But then the one that is more the um, sommelier style, like extra super dry, big acidity kind of thing would really dig the first one. Yeah, they are pretty serious styles of Riesling. Yeah, they're not not here to play. (laughs) Not. Now, we're picking Riesling a little bit riper than probably most of our colleagues in the valley. Um, and I think, you know, arguably Riesling is, is a variety. If you look at other wineries in the valley that you could almost lead with um, to represent Canada uh, at an inter- international kind of level, whether it's bone dry ones through to super sweet ones. Um, you know, we're, we're, I think we're sort of seeking inspiration in terms of style from the old world and that both of these are completely fermented and large German oak casks. You know, they're 1,200 litres. Um, they're quite heavily seasoned, so they shouldn't be an oak influence um, per se. Um, and they're naturally fermented. We've never used any commercial yeasts in our building in the seven vintages we've had here. So it's uh, it's made very, uh, very hands-off, so to speak. And the fermentations are long and drawn out and... Uh, and I think that's why you kind of get the complexity and the, and the weight and the texture that we're we're looking for. You can definitely taste the time investment there. And earlier when we were talking, I think you might have heard in the background, um, Gina was uh, pulling some corks on a couple of Pinot Noirs. Um, the, those are corked, not corked, but they have corks in them. Whereas the Riesling, you chose to use a glass stopper, which I always appreciate and think is a great idea. And, you, you know, you see a lot of German Rieslings with those glass stoppers. So I want to applaud that decision because I do love having those around. We're gonna... yeah, we have... Go ahead. 
We have sort of chosen, I guess, the closure that suits each variety. With Pinot, we go for a very high quality natural cork um, that you know allows the the wine to kind of mature very gracefully. Whereas Riesling, we want to keep the, the wine bright and fresh. And you know, I think it's probably the uh, the closure that you know keeps the freshness in the wine as much as maybe say a screw cap would. Um, and just you know, I think uh, you know historically the the research behind the the vino seal or vino lock as it's called um, allows the wine to age very gracefully and uh, you know it has that I guess that X factor in terms of like it's uh, it kind of completes the package in terms of its um, its sort of uh, aesthetics. I, I so, totally love it and I love having those around and I think that um, you mentioned ageability and Riesling being one of those rare age worthy whites. Um, so yeah. we're going to go to the Pinot Noir. Which, Which one do we start with? Yeah, the the Narmada or the Dehart. I think we start with the Dehart. Dehart. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So tell us about this one. Two quite different um, vineyards. So the Dehart vineyard is uh, basically we're sort of doing the same thing. We're trying the 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 wine from the cooler vineyard followed by the wine from the uh, a lot warmer vineyard. So this wine is from a. Um, all our wines are single vineyard bottlings. Some of them happen to be a single block as well. And the Dehart vineyard is a single block. It's, um, the unique thing about this wine is the, the vineyard slopes quite heavily to the west, meaning it captures no morning sun, but a lot of afternoon sun. So what that means is the afternoon sun propels it to be one of our earliest um, harvested vineyards. Um, but that lack of morning sun means the vines get the rest they deserve. Um, it's multiple clones that are just all picked on the same day and co-fermented mm -hmm. um, with a decent proportion of whole bunches. So this is about 45% whole clusters used in the uh, in the fermenter. Um, and both of these wines are fermented in concrete vessels as well, which allow the, uh, you know, that textural input to kind of really refine the tannins. No oak at all on these? Um, there's oak. Um, it's about 25% new oak. So after it leaves the fermenter, it's matured in oak for okay. about seven months, but uh, no fining and filtration. So that, much that same sort of hands-off uh, process as you'd find with any fine pinot. It's a really lively nose on this. Yeah, you put your it's nose bright. in that glass and there is no question that that is pinot. pinot, right. No yeah, question. It's, it's certainly the brighter, more aromatic of the two. Um, it's very precise, very fine. Um, whereas, you know, the Naramata one is a, a lot richer and more spicy. Oh, that is so good. Mm. I tried it. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I confess. I did have my nose in it, then I put it in my mouth. No, it's, there, it's there are no rules here. You... That is a mouthful. That is. That's Man, really that a... mid palate is. Got some nice spice on the finish. Mm -hmm. mm. Some dark fruit, a little, br a little brambly, a little earthy. I, mm -hmm. I love it. I think it's got all the elements that you expect and want in a good Pinot Noir. Well, now I understand why you said, as I was having that great Riesling, that your star is really the Pinot Noir. And I'm like, yeah. okay. I'm like, yeah, yeah whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. Everybody, Pinot Noir. everybody <laughs> wants their reds to be great, but your Riesling's incredible. What so I was like, oh, this is really good. And the production on this, I'm, I'm assuming, is as, as small as well? Pretty small. Like our total production at the winery here is about 2,000 cases. Oh, yeah. Um, that's spread across seven wines. So like... Uh, um, Riesling is about three quarters of our production, and that's where we will grow in time. Like currently, we uh, 
we farm four vineyards, all farmed and certified organic, um, as is the winery. Um, and so the philosophy is very, I guess, natural and hands off. Um, this this wine we make about 400 cases of. Both of these we make about 400. Man, that's cases beautiful. Mm, so good, isn't it? So I now I understand that your region in the Okanagan region it has the highest percentage of certified organic vineyards. Um, certainly in, uh, in North America, it does. Right. So within our company, um, we're the smallest winery within, um, a larger company that, are, that comprises six wineries. Um, oh, okay. and, and four of the vineyards are farmed, uh, for us in total, we have 45 vineyards that I think in total is around about 1700 acres. This coming harvest, all 45 of them will be certified organic. And I think the current stats mean that um, in British Columbia, well, that will make us around about 17% fully certified organic, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I think that will probably only, that will probably place us maybe behind central Otago in New Zealand. Um, and um, I think the Bacal Valley in, in Austria, which are you know, only a couple of percent above us. So um that's pretty exciting it's uh it's you know it's leading to interesting more complex wines and you know um you know with that groundswell of kana that moved towards organic viticulture and winemaking i think you know it's it's getting more interest and more people moving towards that more natural way of uh sustainable yeah. farming i think it's kind of cool because then you know the runoff isn't going to be gross either from your yeah. neighbors no kidding <laughs> so you yeah I was gonna say you have a you have another you have a different accent and we haven't yeah. we talked a lot about the winery and we talked a lot about the region but you haven't told us your story yet. I'm not an expert on British Columbian accents, but this does not sound <laughs> like a Canadian accent. No, no, it's uh, it's a very New Zealand form. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so I, I moved here from New Zealand, my native New Zealand, in to early 2014 um, to head up this project. Um, I'd worked in seven regions in New Zealand and in Barolo in Italy and France and also um, in Ontario and Canada, which was probably probably the brutal winters there, probably, yeah. You know, um, surprised, surprised you didn't end up in Florida <laughs> after that. Yeah. So um, I came here purely because I think, you know, this new project, you know, 2014 was our first vintage. Um, presented me with the uh, opportunity to make world-class wines. And, you know, that's all something I've always sought out with any place I've worked. Um, also that philosophy of, uh, of transitioning and converting all our vineyards to organic viticulture suited the philosophy that I'd been working with in New Zealand, where it only, you know, the previous 10 vintages worked with either organic or biodynamic vineyards. And so, you know, I think this has kind of provided me with a very unique uh, opportunity to make the wines I want to make um, and, uh, you know, just uh, develop a, a pretty exciting brand. So We're on the uh, Naramata Ranch um, Pinot Noir now. And by the way, yes. thank you for sharing your story. I didn't mean to just jump right in, but I'm, I've got my nose in this glass and it smells a lot different than the other one. Like the other one we said was bright and zippy and this smells a little bit of a funky kind of uh, good funk for a Pinot Noir. Like that forest floor situation, yeah, a little mushroomy yeah. kind of deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very savory, but it's also very bold and spicy. I think, you know, on the palate, you'll find this one a lot richer and rounder, you know, for, I guess, as benchmarks, the uh, 
the Dehart vineyard, you know, where we tried, um, is probably one of those things that you could look at as one, mm. and you know, maybe a cooler climate, AVA from Oregon as our benchmark, mm -hmm. it's leaner and finer. Whereas this one, you're kind of moving into probably cooler climate, sort of Californian style that is richer and bolder. Um, it's an assemblage of three different parcels that are all picked separately and then fermented and matured separately. And then we put a, put, put the blend together to, to represent the, uh, the vineyard. So this vineyard faces sort of mostly south to southwest. So just the aspect makes it a lot warmer. Um, and, you know, it's reflected with you know, much the same winemaking, naturally fermented in concrete vessels mm -hmm. and uh, about 50% whole bunches overall, which kind of give the wine that kind of detailed but fine tannin kind of profile. This is another really long finish. Really it's long just finish. hanging out and I just enjoy it. I love just sitting here and, and watching it continue to unfold or, or feeling it continue to unfold in my mouth. It's really a fun wine. It really could use some salmon. Wouldn't it oh. be great with some grilled salmon? With a crispy skin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now you're talking. Discovered <laughs> with uh, British Columbia is we have a, a plethora of those sort of deep water oily fishes like salmon and trout. And rather uniquely, as I think both the varieties we make go wonderfully with, um, with, with those sort of fish. And so, you know, it's all... You may as well look at sort of what what is locally sort of sourced to uh, to match your wines with perfectly. It's like almost a holistic regional pairing situation where the wines that do well there or the the way that the wines express themselves there tend to go along with the natural products that are coming from that geographical area. I've always yeah. loved that about European wines. Mm -hmm. So I like how you've vinified these in a way that's going to work well with the things that are indigenous to where you're at. Yeah, and the, the food culture in the Okanagan Valley in BC is developing in much the same way as uh, as the wine is, and that's wonderful. You know, we always kind of, you know, our wines are on the, on the place of some of the finer restaurants in, in Canada, and so, you know, it's quite easy matching them with locally sourced food. So that's, uh, you know, makes you... How is wine tourism in that area, in that region? Do you have a lot of it? I mean, in comparison to, say, your neighbors to the south being California and, and Oregon and, and Washington? Uh, one of those sort of things that I learned when I moved here is often the Okanagan Nap uh, Valley is known as what they call the Napa of the North. That, um, not because it's, it, it's, it's to a degree it mimics sort of the the tourism factor of having that very busy summer season uh, that we thrive on, but also the fact that land here is is, uh, is very limited and therefore very expensive. Expensive, um, you know, it's, it's finite. There's not a lot of room to expand um, the vineyard land here, but we have that three or four uh, month period in the middle of summer, like right now, where, um, you, know, the, uh, you know, the tourism goes really through the roof. So we'll pack our bags for a visit, but probably not to actually buy any acreage and move there. <laughs> Please do. But the, the fact that you just mentioned that, buying acreage, let's talk about that because we're, you know, we're seeing a big climate change. We're seeing a lot of California vintners beginning to invest in other places that are cooler. Are you, are you starting to see that in, in your area? Are you, are you kind of looking into your crystal ball, forecasting that this might become um, a, a bigger deal for climate change? I mean, your area and people moving there and growing growing wine or growing grapes there? There is a, a fair bit of investment in the valley, especially at the, the high high end of, um, you know, making more luxury, luxury wine. Um, it tends not to be vintners from abroad, but it's more, you know, um, you know maybe some in investment from abroad in terms of non-winery investment. Um, 
which is, uh, you know, that's not our company. Our company is family owned and, and built from the bottom up by our, by our proprietor, but, um, which is something we're, we're very proud of. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Cause that's always something we think about is, you know, as, as things are heating up and warming up, what is that doing to your region and how are your wines going to you may perhaps end, change in the future? You may also end up with some speculators up there just doing a land grab, exactly. thinking that people are going to eventually migrate to that region when it comes to wine growing. So, uh, you know, we're currently farming four vineyards in the mm-hmm. North Okanagan, meaning around the lake, the very deep lake, which is around 750, meet, uh, 750 feet deep. I guess that, that I would imagine that would have some sort of an impact on the microclimate if it's a cool lake. Um, it, it is the thing that makes, uh, you know, it's, it's the thing that the lake is really what makes viticulture in the North Okanagan viable. You know, mm-hmm. it's a heat sink, so it kind of keeps the, heat, the hot weather from getting too hot and the cold weather from getting too cold. Um, if we look at the four vineyards that we currently farm, they are, you know, all within 30 miles of each other. Um, but, you know, just as we kind of grow, um, we've currently planted um, three new vineyards. They're all high density. They have around about 10,500 vines per hectare. Um, they are all further north than where our, our vineyards are currently found. So as you move further north, you move in cooler. Um, and that's one of the di- dynamic natures of farming in the Okanagan. The two things that kind of make it quite challenging here is that, you know, the altitude we're working at is, um, you know, above 1,000 feet but we're between the 49th and 50th parallel. So we're a lot further north than, um, than most sort of finer regions in the Pacific Northwest. Well, we've loved learning about your region. We've loved tasting your wines. I mean, bravo, you've done a great job. Everything, the, the, the Riesling and the Pinot Noir. And we're going to put the information on our website and when uh, for, for folks who are listening to the podcast where they can get more information about, about your uh, Martin's Lane Winery in British Columbia and about you. And I thought it was great. Thank you so much for being with us. Really, really good wine. Yeah, I mean, they're only, uh, we're only just getting started. These wines we've tasted are from our second and third vintages. So, uh, but, um, well, that's yeah, really so. good for the second and third vintage. I know, right? Wow. We'll be looking for them. Shane Munn, again, is the winemaker and the general manager of Martin's Lane Winery in British Columbia. Thank you for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you. Great Minds is produced at WGCU Studios on FGCU campus in Fort Myers, Florida. Our producer for online media is Tara Calligan. Great Minds theme music is from the band Victor and Penny. The song is You'd Be So Nice to Come Home To by Cole Porter. To get in touch with us, check out greatminds.org. For Julie Glenn, I'm Gina Birch. Thank you so much for listening. You'd be so nice to come home to. You'd be so nice to come home to.